0: We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 42, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Last week, we saw this great preaching of the gospel, spirit-filled preaching of the gospel, and a call to repentance for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, resurrected, ascended in heaven, A call for those who have come to Christ Jesus to be baptized. And there was a great uh, response to this. A Holy Spirit response. 3,000 people come to salvation and are baptized. And I want you to see this morning that people come to salvation individually. Each one of you come to salvation one at a time. Each person must turn away from their sins and put their faith in Christ Jesus. But after we come to salvation, after we individually come to Christ, we live for him in discipleship in the church together. It's God's will that Christians come into the local body of the church. And we're going to begin to talk about that this morning, and it's going to be the major theme of the book of Acts, what it means for people to be together in service to Christ Jesus in the church My wife told me to do this, so I'm going to do this. I'm supposed to push this down here. Ben, we've got to talk about this. I I can't see these people over here. There we go. All right. She'll be happy with me. So we are to live together. The formation of the local church begins here in Jerusalem, and it works its way out. The local church is God's plan for reaching the nations. You've heard me say this many, many times. There's lots of different ingenuitive things that people come up with, but nothing will ever replace the local church. Where the local church is strong and full of spirit-filled believers, the, the church or the people of Christ in that area are strong. It is a grace that God has given to us in the church. It's a grace that we get to be here together, that we get to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to uphold each other, to help meet each other's needs. It was ordained by God to have certain structure and certain characteristics. and We cannot accept Jesus Christ and reject his church. There are some that say that. That it's all about me and Jesus. And, and we live in a very isolated time and a very isolated culture. It's one of the threats of our time that people can sit at home and watch services like this on YouTube and never come into the physical presence of the church. We'll talk about that more this morning, but you cannot accept Jesus and reject his church. Every true Christian is ever seeking the near fellowship of the church. Every true Christian wants the accountability and the encouragement, Of the church. This is my favorite time of the week. I'm incredibly blessed by being here, and I'm thankful for each one of you and the role that you play in my life and encouraging me on towards the Lord. So the church begins here in Jerusalem, and we're going to see that by persecution, uh, ironically enough, by Saul, who becomes one of the apostles later on through a dramatic conversion that I look forward to preaching through. And it presses people out through persecution to where the church spreads into Antioch and into Asia Minor and then to the ends of the earth. But let's read this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 about strength and health in the early church. Please stand with me this morning to honor the Lord as we read his word. <clears throat> Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of to the breaking of bread and the prayers, And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. The first word that jumps out here this morning in verse 42 is devoted. This is an important word. It says that they were devoted to four different things, right doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. To be devoted to something is to have a heart passion for something. It is to have your life oriented towards the direction of a thing. To be devoted to something has a sense of loyalty to it, that you don't easily give it up. It's something that you want to be a part of and you continue being a part of. And there's no way that you can see the the word devotion without understanding that it draws on the heart. It relates to the affections of your heart. It's something you want to do, something you continuously do, something you loyally are a part of. This is what it means to be devoted to something. When we are devoted to something, it tends to form our identity. It's who we really are. It's who we want to be. There are many common examples of what it means to be devoted to something in our day and age. Many people are devoted to their career. Their job is everything. They are devoted to it. They will give up anything else in order to continue on with what is happening in their career. Some people are devoted to their children's activities. Our day and age is eat up with this. Where people, their whole life revolves around the activities of their children. Some people, it's physical fitness. They will give up anything to be in the gym that day. Like the gym defines their day because we live in a day where physical appearance is become idolatrous. Some people are absolutely devoted to video games. Now that sounds ridiculous and I'm not trying to harp on something. But if your life revolves around time in front of that screen and your identity is found in that screen and your passions are for that, it has become something that is a devotion of your life. What you are devoted to becomes who you are. And so the early church is who is setting a pattern for what we ought to be and that we are devoted to Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus devoted to one another and it becomes our identity. It is, who we, it is where we find our life. And so these four characteristics of devotion in the early church are things that ought to encourage and instruct us. The first is that they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching, those divinely entrusted to teach right doctrine. When the Lord Jesus called these apostles to himself, one who is replaced, which we preached in some weeks ago, they are entrusted to preaching and teaching right doctrine. They're taking the Old Testament and applying it to the works and the teaching of Christ and then teaching it to the early church. It is their teaching, which is witnessed, written some themselves, some written about what they witness, which makes up the New Testament for us. Doctrine is belief. The word doctrine is applied to many other areas in the world, but in scripture doctrine is belief and right doctrine is right belief or true belief about God. The world will tell you today that there is no such thing as right doctrine. There is no such thing as truth. There is no truth about God. The scriptures are very clear that there is truth about God because God actually objectively exists. In anything that truly and really exists, there is truth and falsehood about it. God exists and the apostles are bearing witness as to who Jesus truly was and what he really did. And there is such thing as right doctrine. And so when we are devoted to right doctrine, we have an earnest love for the Lord Jesus. And because of our earnest love for Christ, we want to know who he really is dabbling with him a little bit is not enough we want to know who he is truly and fully and as you search more for Christ Jesus you find that once you understand one thing there's always more to know and one door opens two and two open four and the more that you learn about the Lord God the more your heart becomes filled with who he is and a desire to know more of him And so our faith always begins with true knowledge. Knowledge is not the end of faith, but it is certainly the beginning. You can't believe anything about God if you don't know truth about God. So we begin by preaching truth to people, telling truth to people, and then by knowledge comes faith. We believe what we have learned, and by faith comes a change of character, and from a change of character, a change of action. Many of you have heard me talk through this diagram before, but it is so helpful and so true. Knowledge, faith, character, action. We're going to see that here in this passage this morning. And when our actions are changed, ultimately by faith and character, we want to know more about the Lord. It's something that feeds back into itself. We want to know more about Him. And when we learn more about Him, we believe more about Him. And our is changed even more, and our actions are changed even more. And it is an ascending spiral which takes us closer and closer to the Lord every day, all the way up until the time of our death when we enter into glory. True Christians Want to know the Lord. True Christians will be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Things such as the person and work of Jesus Christ. The details of the commands of Christ and of his parables and of his teachings. The works of God in the past and the Old Testament. The promises of God that are there. The moral commands of Christ so that we might understand how should we live in this day and age. What are we supposed to do when we go out of here Monday through Friday of this week? How do I live my life for the Lord? How do we relate to each other here? All of these things are a part of the right doctrine that comes out of the Bible. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching for us means being devoted to Scripture. They were devoted to the Old Testament then, and they were in the process at this point in time of God's Spirit uh, inspiring the writings of the New Testament, which is what we have for us now. Devotion to Scripture will lead to spiritual life and strength in the church. Let me say that again. Devotion to scripture will lead to spiritual life and to strength in the church. The more that each and every one of us are devoted to God's word, the more joy and peace and strength and harmony there will be in this church. When we are devoted to theologians or systems of theology... There will be pride and division because that is a devotion to individuals' interpretations of these things. There is a place for interpretation. There is a place for understanding and reading good books, but they must always have a second place to Scripture. We will find that when we are devoted to Scripture, there will be great spiritual life and strength in the church. Because devotion to Scripture leads to a love of God, and a love of God leads to a love of neighbor. These things all fit together. You cannot have a passion for knowing God and loving God and not love the people that are around you. It always works out that way because God's will is for us to love our neighbor as ourself. And the closer we become to the Lord Jesus, the more we will love those who are around us. And this is exactly what we see in the early church. So the second measure of devotion in the early church is devotion to the fellowship. The fellowship. The common bond of salvation in Jesus that we share with other believers. Those of you here that know Christ Jesus as your Savior, we share a bond that we have with no one else in this world. Because we have the bond of being called brothers and sisters in Christ because God is our Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been given a joint inheritance in the kingdom of God. We are fellow citizens in that kingdom. We are joint parts in the body of Christ. If you've never heard that term before, we're gonna get to that more as we look at the book of Acts. The Lord Jesus calls his church his body and that each of us have a particular place and part to play in this body. And we cannot say to each other that we don't need each other because each of us play different roles and we are together in the body of Christ. In the same way, a passion, loyalty, earnest heart affection for the real people in the church is what we must have, not an idealized concept of what we think church ought to be. This is kind of what enters in when people like idealized movies where everything's, everything's fantastic. Like, why can't the real world be like that? If you came into the church thinking everybody here is going to be perfect and wonderful, then it's not. Surprise, surprise, because we're all sinners. But loving each other in the church is about having a passion and a loyalty to real people because of our love for Christ Jesus, a heartfelt affection to draw near to the people that are really here, the people that are here today in this place and getting to know their name for the sake of Christ Jesus. If you look at the early church and think that all these people were Pollyanna type people and there were no struggles and sin problems in the church, you're wrong. They also had these same struggles and they had to work through these same struggles but they did so by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the sake of Jesus, because they loved him. This can only be accomplished in person. If COVID taught us anything, it taught us that lockdowns prove that we cannot have meaningful personal relationships without face-to-face time. we're all sick of Zoom calls and we all realize that you cannot build strong, lasting, personal, meaningful relationships without having real time together in person. And we're gonna see this goes from meetings together here to being in people's homes. The early church was very, they were very near to each other, very involved with each other's lives in person and so must we be if we are going to be devoted to the fellowship of the church. Excuse me. Christians must be devoted to the spiritual well-being, care, love, and physical needs of each other. Our primary calling in this area as far as being devoted to the real needs of other people is not outside the walls of this place, but inside the fellowship of the church. And this may offend some of you because many people, when they are involved in acts of service, those acts of service are towards strangers and people that they don't know really at all. But I believe absolutely the pattern that we see in the book of Acts is that church members ought to be first devoted to caring for each other's needs in the context of the church. And then by strength, we go out from there to also care for the needs of the world. This is so true. I know you understand what I'm getting ready to say. There's a phrase called compassion fatigue that all of us feel very much in this day and age. Compassion fatigue is the idea that the world is so big and there's so many problems that I get inundated with every day that there's no way that I can possibly actually do anything about this because it's, it's just too overwhelming. So I'm just not going to do anything about anything because it really doesn't matter. And I understand why people feel that way. They also feel like, hey, these, this is the old Scrooge mentality. I've already been taxed for this, so why do I have to do anything else about this? I've, I've paid my taxes, and so isn't that supposed to be redistributed? Isn't government going to fix that? And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But the church must not have this feeling. We must That's a hard heart. We must not have hard hearts in the church. But I understand that you can be overwhelmed by the struggles of this world but you do not have to be overwhelmed by the struggles of this church meaning the people that you see around you today. You can really be involved with the lives of the people that are in this place today, and you can make a difference for the sake of Jesus in their lives by praying for them and serving them and knowing their name and being devoted to them for the sake of Christ Jesus. We really can make a difference in each other's lives by acts of mercy, hospitality, love, financial benevolence, care for widows, care for orphans, the sick, taking a meal to a person that you don't know. It's one of my favorite ministries in this church. Christine Gilmore, she's here somewhere. She runs our meal, meal train ministry. Taking a, a challenge you. When these meal trains go out, sign up for a meal for a person that you've never met before and go and take them a meal and pray for them in Jesus' name. It will bless both of you as you do something to serve a person in need. These are all things that we can be involved with and truly show the love of Christ to each other as we are devoted to each other because we are devoted to Christ Jesus. Verse 44 and 45 gets into some of the details of how this works out. It says that they are together together. They really spent time with each other. and the book of Acts, is clear that they were with each other in each other's homes. True, earnest friendships between each other. We see various occasions in the book of Acts where people are split up and they weep over splitting up with each other because they love each other. They have gone miles together with each other and together with the Lord. And when they have to be parted from each other, it is something of sorrow. They enjoy each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other in something that cannot be missed about what's repeated over and over. This is the first of about three times we're going to see this spoken to clearly in the book of Acts. Is they financially help each other. It says here they had their possessions in common. And I want to to talk about this a little bit more because it goes on, it says, it has their possessions in common, verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. This is not speaking to some communist commune. This is not what we see work out in the early church. Instead, exactly what is said here is uh, spoken of at least three other times, once with Barnabas and then a negative example with Ananias and Sapphira, where people had personal property. All the way from back in the Old Testament, it's very clear that there's such thing as stealing. Stealing means that people have personal property, and it's wrong for you to go take someone else's personal property, and that you have the right to sell some of your personal property to go and meet the need of another person. Barnabas, here and other places, people choose to take something that they own and to sell it and to give it to another person. We're told in the book of Acts that some of these things were sold and given to the apostles for redistribution within the church, and it was distributed mainly to the poor. This was a time of great poverty and great financial need, a time when the church was filled with those that had tremendous, life-threatening even, financial needs, and so they were caring for each other, and I want you to see a number of things that come out of this. When you take something that you own and you personally sell it and give it to someone else to meet their needs, there is virtue there if it is done by love because you are choosing to give up something that you have the right to in order to help someone else in Jesus' name. It is a display of love and it is a display that you love God more than you love the things in your life. It is the opposite of being compelled or taxed or being guilt-driven to being forced in some way to give someone something that you don't want them to have. There is no virtue in that. There's no virtue in paying your taxes. Like you're, You're doing what you have to do, but you're doing it because it's a part of what's required of you. But it's not the same as giving up something that you choose to give up for the sake of love for someone else. And so we see this working its way out in the New Testament and it's spoken of many other times in the New Testament. I want to uh, read for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 12 through fifteen. This whole chapter is about this, but this particular portion is, is is just special related to the way in which the new early church gave to each other to meet each other's real needs and the way that Paul describes it. Uh, uh, let's see, second Corinthians eight twelve and following. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much and had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Interesting verse. I encourage you to think about this one. I'm gonna explain it a little bit, but it's worth going back and ruminating on. It's proportional giving. It's saying that there are people, there's enough in this church. I'm gonna get to that in a little bit more here. There's enough in this church to supply all of our needs. Some have more, some have less. And there's the the changing of time in this as well, so that their abundance may one day supply your need. The tables of of wealth and employment change, and there are times when others will need to supply you, and there's a time where you need to help them, and you never quite know how you're going to need the help of another person in this church, but you will need the help of others in this church. I guarantee it. It's designed by God that they might help you, and you might receive their help, and that we all might glorify God. And that the Lord supplies enough in his church for all the needs to be met, so that there is not a lack, and that we can honor the Lord in saying that there has been enough supplied. That the readiness must be there, that we are doing this proportionally and with joy. And verse 15, the reference there is to manna. I love that the concept of manna is awesome in the Bible. But it's about day-by-day provision. The idea is that we're not stacking up so much that we are sure that we can last forever. God never guarantees tomorrow. He guarantees today that your needs will be supplied today. And if you know that there's a brother and sister or sister that has a great need that you can supply and you are unwilling to supply that because you lack the faith to believe God for the future, and so you're going to hold on to what you have to make sure that the future is secure for you in your own way of understanding, then you're going to run into a problem with the next command here. Let's go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3.16. There's John 3.16 about the gospel, and then there's 1 John 3.16, which is about the church. 1 John 3.16 has to do with John Speaking about these things later that were working their way out in the early church. And this command is very powerful. 1 John three sixteen, For this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Very powerful passage. It's a personal passage. It's the idea of you coming in contact with someone here in the church that has a need and you know it's a real and desperate need. And you have the ability to meet that need. But it's gonna cost you. It's gonna, you're gonna have to sacrifice to meet that need. And you close your heart. That is a powerful statement there. You harden your heart against that person and you close them out because you do not want to give of what you have to help them in their time of need. It says, how can the love of God abide in you? How can you say that you love God if you have no true love for your brothers and sisters in the Lord and that that true love is demonstrated in sacrificially helping them in some way that is a true need? (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. And this goes to the in-person thing. This is not the, your mailbox gets filled up with all the needs of the whole world and you're not sure how to, to, to help all these things. I'm talking about the person that you meet after church this afternoon and the Lord burns it into your heart that you ought to do something to help this person. And if you say no to the Lord in your heart, there's something wrong with your love of God because it's it's not displaying in a love to other people. And you will find as you are devoted to the fellowship because of your love of Jesus, and you want to help others around you, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is something that Paul quotes Jesus as saying, it is a joy to give to other people. I am so encouraged by the real devotion to the Lord in this church through real acts of sacrifice. I am I am overjoyed by the amount of personal sacrifice in this church to see other needs met. I I am not actually aware of any need that has ever been expressed in this church financially that has not been met. We have a benevolence fund at this church that is I I just almost miraculously always has more money in it than, than we need to meet all kinds of needs, whether it's buying cars or paying mortgages or paying medical bills or helping people in any number of ways that they need, the needs are met. And it shows the devotion that we have to each other in this church. But I wanna remind you that an a, a aspect, an important aspect of real community in the church is people's ability to really express their needs Unless you express a need, a need cannot be met. None of us can read minds. If you have some terrible thing going on and you never tell anybody about it, you really haven't entered into the community of the church because you need to be willing and able to tell people what your struggles are so that people can then help you with those struggles. The American way is to put on the happy plastic smile and not tell anyone of your struggles. And get into debt and, and all kinds of terrible things until just, it just explodes. And then marriages devol- dissolve and divorce and bankruptcy and all kinds of things. And people tend to then just run away to another place and show up somewhere new and try to start over. And never actually tell anybody about what's going on in your life. Part of entering into the community of the church is the willingness to tell people about the struggles that are happening in your life. And then for us as a church to react to that by humbly and joyfully meeting the needs as we take all of our needs to the Lord so that when these things are met and there's joy and peace and harmony in the church, it glorifies the Lord God because we see him at work in our midst. So they are devoted to one another. They are, sorry, let me they are devoted first to the apostles' teaching. Then they are devoted to the fellowship of one another. Third, they are devoted to the breaking of bread. And then fourthly, we'll get to prayer. But third, the breaking of bread. This can have to do uh, with two things the Lord's Supper and in-house meals. I believe it refers to both. They are definitely uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper and obeying the command of the Lord that they ought to do these things in remembrance of him. We know that the disciples are doing these things. But they are also definitely in and out of each other's houses eating and sharing meals. This is something that has always been a part of true community, being in and out of each other's houses. Hospitality, in-house hospitality. Hospitality. In-house hospitality is one of the greatest ways to show another person that you care about them. There's nothing like getting the house in order and doing something, putting something on the grill and inviting a person into your house and saying, hey, I would like to have you come over and, and get to know you more. It shows welcome like nothing else does. And it is rare in our day and age. It's rare to be invited into a person's house and shown hospitality. It also is the most authentic display of true religion. When you say you love the Lord Jesus and you bring a person into your house and they experience the love of Christ in your house and they can see how you live and your children and what your house is like, it tells them that you are the real deal. Like you really are a Christian. You live what you say that you live. What you say at work, what you say out in the community, you really are that way. It's powerful and it's important. My question for you this morning is, is in-home hospitality a part of your life? For many people, there's reasons why it's never a part of their life. We just they never have someone into their home. I need you to see that you're out of step with the spirit-filled nature of the early church if in-home hospitality is not a part of your life at all. You need to open your home to other people. Your home does not need to be perfect. It does not need to look like a magazine. None of these people, from what we can tell, were rich. They were all simple people. But they wanted people in their homes because it showed authentic love and kindness. In-home hospitality, the breaking of bread together in meals around the table in each other's homes, as it says in... um, Verse 46, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's it's a beautiful picture. It's, It's people sitting around a table gladly and joyfully together, breaking bread together, building relationships around Jesus Christ together in each other's homes. It is a pillar of every healthy church, and it's something that I press you to do. Something I urge you to do. And I need you to see, they didn't have a professional minister here to set this up, to make ha, make connections between each other by going to some desk somewhere. They just invited each other into people's homes because they wanted to be to get to know each other. And that's the best way for this to work out. For you to prepare your home and then invite people into your home and pray that the Lord will lead you as to who to invite over. And he will. And it will turn out to be something beautiful. Memories will be made. Friendships will be built. You will be able to pray for and with each other, and the Lord Jesus will be honored. But let me remind you that it takes a homemaker to have a home. In this day and age, homemaking is something that is belittled. When we go back to where what are we devoted to and what are our hearts poured into, the home gets the last end of the stick in our day and age. People just tend to not care what happens at home because we need to go make more money. But the Lord values the home. We see here in the early church that the home is a part of the engine of the early church. It's a part of our devotion to Christ. And I believe that it is still that way. And it is right for 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 our for women to be devoted to the home. It takes a godly wife to care for and prioritize this. Those of you that have been here know that I believe that the Bible teaches that there are primary roles for husband and wives, and that one of the primary roles of the wife is to care for the home, to make a home. And so we're all involved in that, husband, wife, children, we're all a part of this thing, but someone must be devoted to it in order for it to come together. And it is a priority that doesn't produce money, and it doesn't produce wealth, But we find in the scriptures, it is a generator for godliness, and that is of great value. So they're devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread together in each other's homes and the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Fourth is prayer. They are devoted to prayer. As we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see that the people prayed in the temple, they prayed in each other's homes, they prayed over meals, they prayed at special times when people were in prison, they prayed in worship, they were constantly in prayer. They absolutely understood that they cannot do the work of God without the power of God. And so they were always asking God to fill them with boldness. And they had a a memory of not too long ago being scared to death of what they were going to do as people came against them. And so they're constantly praying and asking God to make them bold that they might go out and proclaim the gospel. And these things that they are devoted to that they would not give up in their devotion. I would remind you that prayer for other people and with other people draws you together with them. When you pray for another person, you will want to see them. You want to hear how the Lord has answered your prayer, how the Lord has been involved in their life since you have been praying for them. And so I encourage you, we must be a people of prayer, constantly devoted to prayer, praying here, praying with each other when we see we have needs, praying in our homes, setting an example of prayer with our children, having special times of prayer. We must be known as a people that are on our knees, taking our needs to the Lord. So four aspects of devotion in the early church, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the fellowship of each other, devoted to breaking bread together, devoted to praying for and with each other. As I close it up, I want to remind you this morning that we are living in a time that is an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. We know know it, we feel it. Last week, I heard the most ludicrous thing that I... I had to go look it up because it seemed like something off of a Saturday Night Live skit or something, but here I heard in the news that we now have an act before Congress that's called the National Strategy for Social Connection Act, which if passed will produce a new federal office, a new federal workforce to combat loneliness in this country. I'm not making this up. This, I said I would get back to this because it matters. In this day and age, people have so turned away from the Lord that there's only one other thing big enough to fix all of our problems, and that's government. People are turning in a real way to the federal government. They see isolation, desperate loneliness, suicidal everything, anxiety through the roof. What are we going to do? Let's create a new government program for it. If you think a new government program will fix the loneliness and isolation and desperation of this country, that level of deception is shocking and sad. Our level of isolation and sadness and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, all these types of things come from a deep rejection of Jesus Christ, a deep rejection of the salvation taught by the apostles, and a deep rejection of the church and saying, I don't want any of these things, and I'm going to go look for this somewhere else but then you're not going to find it anywhere else because there is only one Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And there is no substitution for the church. Instead, you must come into the church and humble yourself before the Lord and make yourself open and vulnerable towards other people. Be involved with their lives. Break bread with them. Pray for them. Let them pray for you. Be involved with each other, and you will find incredible joy and community in the relationships that you will build in this way. I want to read to you a statement written by someone called Aristides, in 125 A.D., 100 years after this passage in the book of Acts, and he is writing officially to Emperor Hadrian, the Roman emperor, for the reasons for the spread of Christianity. Let me read this for you. This is beautiful. If one or other of them have bondmen or bond women or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction, They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting." And when they see a stranger, they take him into their home and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear one of them of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah. All of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. That's powerful stuff. That is is radical devotion to Jesus. And because of devotion to Jesus, an overflowing love for those who are in the church and then outside of that to those who are in the world. Because as we love each other together, our strength together shows great strength to the world. And by that, we can accomplish more in helping them. This is the nature of the early church. This is what comes out of The individual salvation of 3,000 people people—it's the beginning of the church. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still striving to live these things out. May it be so. May the Lord make us like these people in our time. And through this, may the Lord keep adding to our midst, week after week, those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your work in this church. Over the years, Lord, it's been such a joy to see something that's gone uh, from just being a hope and a vision, something that we just prayed would be possible to something that has been a tremendous joy and is a tremendous joy now. I pray, Lord, that we would be devoted to you, and that our identity would be in Christ, that our passion would be for Christ and to live for him. And Lord, that this passion for Jesus would overflow in love for one another here in the church. That we would be devoted to caring for one another's needs. That we would be devoted to breaking bread with one another and enjoying each other's company and fellowship. And that we would be a people devoted to prayer. That we would be known for these things, Lord that we would be a people that walk in this way, filled by your Spirit, and because of it, you would continue to bring people to salvation, that more and more would come to know you and walk in your ways. Help us to be light in darkness of our day, a day, Lord, that has so adamantly turned away from what it means to walk in the salvation of Jesus. Let us never lose sight or hold of these things. Help us to walk filled with the fruit of your Spirit this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.